Mud Stories, Episode 44. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. How many times do we have to put God in a box? that I feel like I, I myself know that I do it over and over and over. Somewhere I drag an old refrigerator box back out from the garage and I put him back in it. And I don't know why I do it because he, he destroys every box. One thing I feel like I learned from all this was God really pointed out to me all of his examples of his true faithfulness through our journey. And now I know to look for those acts of faithfulness and they don't have to be big, huge miracles to be the hand of God. And I feel like it was that, those acts of God's faithfulness that got us through each step. Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey there, welcome back to the Mud Stories podcast. I'm so very glad you're here with me today because today I'm talking with Christy Beam. Now you may not know Christy, but let me just introduce her to you. She resides with her family near Burleson, Texas, and she is married to her veterinarian husband, Kevin, and is the mom to three beautiful girls, all starting with the letter A, Abigail, Annabelle, and Adeline. Now, Christy has quite a remarkable mud story, and, you know, it begins with her daughter facing a chronic illness, and I know that many people are facing either chronic illness themselves or caring for someone in their family who has a chronic illness, and that could be an ongoing illness a debilitating illness, or even a terminal diagnosis. Whatever it is that you're facing, I think Christy's story is going to be a great encouragement to you. But her story doesn't stop with facing chronic illness. She goes on to share the tragedy that happened when her daughter Annabelle, who was nine years old at the time, fell 30 feet from a tree. And she goes on to share what happens after that, how God meets them in that tragedy, and how he really redeems everything in time. And, you know, Christy's story is nothing short of remarkable. And I think you're going to find it fascinating and amazing. And so in this episode, Christy shares all about her family, her girls, her husband, the details of Annabelle's chronic illness, and what it was like to care for a child who was so, so sick. And Christy goes on to share all about the subsequent tragedy of the fall and all the events that happened after that. And I just can't wait for you to hear Christy share it from her own heart. I think you're going to love her message and really for you to grasp Today, no matter what you're facing, God sees you, he knows, and he will be so very faithful in even the smallest ways. And so without further delay, here is my conversation with Christy Beam. Enjoy. 
Hi, Christy. Welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. I'm so very glad to talk with you today because I think your story is not only powerful, but can bring hope to so many. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, you've just released your very first book entitled Miracles from Heaven. And I've actually listened to you read me your entire book. And I just feel like I know you already. It's so fun to talk to you today. I love that. I love that you listen to it. Well, I love that you recorded it yourself. You know, a lot of people who write a book and have an audiobook version, there's someone different that records it other than the author. And I just find it so connecting. I'm totally into audiobooks because for me, I can do things while I'm reading a book, essentially. And to hear the author's voice be the one to read the book, I think is passionate and powerful and just so much more connecting than someone who is just hired to do it. So I'm so glad that you felt that way because that was really the desire of my heart, but I wasn't sure if that would come out that way in the end. So I'm glad you felt that. Oh, I did. Absolutely. I loved it. Now, I know that there are some events that happened December 30th, 2011 and beyond. But before we talk about any of that, I would love it if you would just share a little bit about you and your husband, your family, maybe a little bit of your background, what you guys do and where you live. Um, Let's see here. I was born and raised in Abilene, Texas, and went to Hardin-Simmons University there where I met Kevin and we dated there at Hardin-Simmons and later married. I taught school for five years, and he went to veterinary school, and then when he got, ra- well, when he graduated from veterinary school, I was going to say when he got out, but I guess technically it's graduated. <laughs> he graduated. Technically from- graduated, yes. Yes. <laughs> was alleviated. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh my gosh. Oh. When he graduated, um, we had Abby. And so that's our oldest. And so I got to stay home and take care of Abby. And then after Abigail came Annabelle. And then after Annabelle came Adeline. So we just kind of got to do the perfect family thing for a while. And then we kind of got hit head on with Annabelle's illness. Um, But, you know, Kevin is such an amazing um, husband and best friend. I just can't say enough about how blessed I am to have him in this journey. Um, So I feel like he is such a big part of who I am that I feel like I have to share a little bit about him too whenever I talk. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm so glad you did because I really connected with Kevin and his role because I'm a registered nurse and I work in a hospital. I've done that for 17 years, but I'm in labor and delivery. So totally different than animals. Like, I guess I could maybe work my way through a birth of an animal, but Probably not. <laughs> I'm, I'm more into the human birth thing. Um, and if you have questions about your grandma's blood pressure medicine, I am not the girl for you. You know, people at church will ask me, oh, so, you know, my grandma's taking this medication or this situation's going on. And I'm like, well, if it's not pregnant and a woman, then I'm pretty much out. <laughs> Yeah, but I could relate to a lot of what you wrote about and shared about Kevin in the book, because, you know, as a healthcare provider, whether it's animals or people, I mean, I think it's harder to get into veterinarian school than it is to get into medical school, actually. Is. Yeah. yeah. And and not, not to mention, he's a surgeon, too. And so, you know, high level, um, you know, stress and pressure and pets are people's family, you know, it's very, very important. But anyway, I related to, uh, you know, Kevin's perspective, because sometimes as a medical professional, you feel 
like you you should be able to fix things, but you feel powerless and at the mercy of those with other areas of expertise. And it can it can be a blessing and a curse at the same time. <laughs> that is exactly how he felt. He felt like I can fix just about anything with anything wrong with them. And right. I can't fix Annabelle. And it, yeah. it just tore him up. So you're exactly right. Okay, so you are in Texas, three girls that start with the letter A, so sweet, and yet when Annabelle, your middle daughter, was, was she five? Well, she was technically four when she started having what we call tummy troubles, but she was five when she fully obstructed and had to have um, a complete abdominal surgery. She okay. She completely obstructed and had abdominal surgery. Take us back there and tell us, you know, what the symptoms were that led up to it, and just a quick summary of what you ended up figuring out was the complications that you were all facing. Yes. So Annabelle was really distended. Her tummy was really big and round. Her face was real pale. She was always in pain. It hurt to eat or drink. Um, She had gotten to where she didn't really want to eat or drink because it wasn't really worth the pain that she would endure. And so after she fully obstructed and she rallied back and she made it through it, which was really touch and go for a while, We began to see one doctor after another, and they later determined that she had two disorders. One of them is called pseudo-obstruction motility disorder, and the other one is called antral hypomotility disorder. And that just means that the stomach muscle is weak and floppy, and the nerves don't tell the muscles to fire synchronically, so they can't squish the food through and out the body. That's just it. It doesn't have that squishy muscle contraction. So is that what they were calling no peristalsis, essentially? Exactly. Yeah. And so her food would just sit there and... Exactly. And just remain stagnant. And then um, she would just be in in agonizing pain. Mm. One nurse told me one time, she said, you know, you can probably relate to Annabelle in in this way. And she said, imagine how it feels to have the stomach flu all the time. That's how Annabelle feels. And yet so hard being a mom of such a little girl because, you know, they can't always describe or explain what's wrong, you know, in in very articulate means. And so that had to be frustrating because at some point you're like, well, honey, really? Is it really hurting you that bad? But I'm sure after you really received the diagnosis, of course, you knew it was the real deal. Oh, absolutely. And then I felt terrible for all those times. I'm like, come on, your tummy hurt yesterday. Your tummy <laughs> hurt yesterday and the day before and the day before. I know. You know, and then you feel like such a, oh, you're like, man. I know. Then the mommy guilt kicks in, right? Yes, exactly. So uh, hard. So once you received a diagnosis, which incidentally, I, I feel like I'm fast forwarding through the book because there's so much in there. But I wanted to you to share a little bit about what daily life looked like and the dynamics as you sought a diagnosis, because I think there are people out there who might be listening today who have loved ones who are in this unknown territory of what is wrong with me, you know, I'm having health complications or problems with my body, and yet no one's really seeming to help me. I don't know where to go to find answers. And I know that's something you as a family face. So can you talk a little bit about that and and how that led you to a diagnosis? Well, in the very beginning, after Annabelle was diagnosed from the first place in Dallas and they diagnosed the pseudo obstruction motility disorder. I will never forget the doctor calling me and telling me 
I'm very sorry to be the one to tell you this, but she does have this. And I want to tell you that it's very hard and most of the marriages end in divorce because it's very hard to stay married and watch a child suffer Mm -hmm. and for the marriage to endure. And I told Kevin that he said that and Kevin said, well, that's no longer an option. That's not on the table. That's off the table. Failure is not an option. And so, you know, matter what happened, no matter how hard it was, no matter how frustrating, how broke, how alone, how sad, no matter what, I knew that he was going to be there. And that gave me a sense of um, foundation that, okay, my spouse is not going anywhere and he's in it with me. And so I just, I can't explain the amount of strength that that gave me. Mm -hmm. And it also gave me the strength to know that, that Christ felt that same way too, if not magnified by a hundred, you know, I'm going to be there right with you every step of the way. I already know what's on the other end, but that's okay. I'm going to walk through it with you anyway, as if I don't know. And so we learned to daily just, you know, Kevin would just get on his knees and cry out. And some days would look different for me because I would not necessarily know what to pray that particular day because I was afraid to pray for one particular thing, because if that, that one particular thing didn't happen, I didn't want to be disappointed in God. And so I got myself confused in really what to pray and how to pray, but I was really just scared to hear the answers. Yeah. So I really worked through that. And so really, as we were in different places and the family was disjointed and Kevin would be trying to take care of, you know, the, the oldest and the youngest, Abby and Adeline, and I would have Anna in Boston and, you know, he would be trying to do life here and I would mm-hmm. be trying to do life there. We just, no matter what the constant was, we prayed. And I knew he prayed and he knew I was praying and all of our family and loved ones were praying. And not just, you know, God just, I don't know, help Annabelle to feel better, but, but specific, clear prayers of, you know, let today be the day that Annabelle can drink a glass of water. Let today be the day that she can eat enough food, you know, mm-hmm. to give her nourishment. Give Christy the encouragement and the peace that she needs to get through today. You know, and so because we had that, I feel like that gave our journey the substance that it needed. And I really took away from what you wrote that it was really a one step at a time experience. You know, because you didn't just all of a sudden know to call a super fantastic doctor in Boston, you know, it, it was one small thing that led to the next small thing. And I think sometimes it's really a challenge in whatever kind of mud we're facing that we really just, the human part of us just wants to know the end. We want to know the answer and we want it solved. And, and yet the process that you walk through with God was really a refining process of you learning and being taught by him how to trust to find that very next step, don't you think? Very much. And, you know, one thing I feel like I learned from all this was I feel like God really pointed out to me all of his examples of his true faithfulness through our journey and the way that he was truly faithful every day to Mm -hmm. me. And I felt almost ashamed when I look back and I can count those examples of faithfulness And I can say, how can I, and I would say, how did I not see this as your act of faithfulness to me when I was in it? Yeah. 
And now I know to look for those acts of faithfulness. And they don't have to be big, huge miracles to be the hand of God. And I feel like it was that, those acts of God's faithfulness that got us through each step. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. Oh, it makes complete sense. And, you know, sometimes that is the only way we can learn to look for God's small, faithful things. You know, had you not been through this with Annabelle, I mean, perhaps God could have brought something else that would have helped you learn this lesson. But I think a lot of times in life, God uses the mud that we're in, the messy, difficult trials that we face to really teach us some of the most beneficial and lifelong lessons to grow our relationship with him. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think for anybody who is really struggling today, you know, it sounds kind of cliche and trite to say, well, just trust God, you know, but it is in those small moments of just those surrendered prayers while you're driving your car or while you're, you know, doing dishes in the sink or giving the children a bath again for the umpteenth time, you know, and um, I know that, that your, your message and your hope is that people would embrace him, embrace the Lord as they are going through whatever they're in, let him be with them in it. Right. Absolutely. Every step of the way and just give the whole thing to him in it. And at every single point, I felt like I was saying, okay, God, like, I don't, I don't know what to do. And this can't be your plan for Annabelle. And then once I finally realized and understood that God loves Annabelle so much more than I could ever even imagine loving Mm -hmm. her. Once that reality sunk in, I really just nestled in his arms and thought, you've got this. Like, if you love her more than I do, then why, why don't I let you be in control? And, And why won't I let you be God? And so after that, I feel like it wasn't easy, but I just put one foot in front of the other and just continued to lift her up. Were there any daily practices or any practical things that you really implemented into your routine to help you fight that temptation to doubt or to be angry with God through suffering? I just talked a lot to God and I just often say, you know, in just random times, vacuuming or doing laundry or mm-hmm. um, just in, in on the airplane or getting ready to go on the airplane just say, you know, God, this is you and me and we can do this and please give me the peace and give me the wisdom and let what is hidden be revealed for Annabelle and, and just call on him. And yeah. just, and I just remember constantly calling on his presence. Just please be with us. Do not, do not let us feel like we're here alone. And we never did. It reminds me of that verse that says pray without ceasing because mm-hmm. You know, it's not that God wants us to stop doing all of our normal responsibilities, but it's that postured attitude of prayer in our heart that we're always interacting throughout our day and being mindful of his presence that he is with us. So, well, some events happened uh, in December of 2011. And could you take us back to that day and describe what that day was like and what ended up happening? Sure. Um, in the beginning of December, Annabelle and I had gone to Boston for one of her treatments, and she had actually told me there in Boston that she wanted to die and go to heaven and live with Jesus where there is no more pain. And I, as you can imagine, was devastated. 
Um, we rallied Annabelle back and got her home. And it was a little bit later then in the month. And she was laying on the couch with the heating pad on her tummy. And her older sister, Abby, convinced her to come out and play. And Annabelle's favorite thing to do when she could play was to climb trees. So they had gone out to one of the groves of trees on our property and they were climbing. And Annabelle and Abby were sitting on a branch about 30 feet in the air and the branch began to give way. And in order to seek safety to get down, Annabelle went inside this hole that she thought was just kind of a small opening inside the tree. Mm-hmm. And what happened was she ended up falling and it was hollowed out. And she fell 30 feet head first into this hollowed out cottonwood tree on our property. It was trapped in the bottom 30 feet down entombed mm. inside the base of this tree. Who knew that one of those trees was hollow? That is crazy. Well, and the tree had bloomed every year prior and even for several years after. So we didn't have any reason to believe that it was hollowed out. Yeah. And these are big trees. I mean, I, I, you know, I live in a neighborhood with a paved street and all of that. So my kids would not even know what to do with such amazing trees. But I'm sure it wasn't unusual for the girls to just play on your property and climb trees to their heart's content. I mean, who would ever think that a tree would be hollow? Exactly. They would play and climb and they had boundaries. They knew you're not supposed to go from here to here, here to here. Of course. Yeah. And they knew that was a little bit high. They were pushing the boundaries. (laughs) And later, you know, you want to say, what in the world were you thinking? Right. Right. It was just so not worth addressing again because they didn't ever go that high. Of course. Of course. Especially Uh, after that day. Yes. After that day, for sure. Um, So um, Annabelle ended up being stuck inside the base of this tree for about five hours, and it took the firemen about three hours to get her out. Wow. Um, And I loved how you told in the book about how Abby came running to get you. I mean, she thought she could fix it at first herself. You know how kids are. You know, like, oh, somebody's going to be upset. No problem. I'm going to work this out. And she was calling to her sister. She even Didn't she even drop her headlamp down in there? Yeah. Such a smart girl. Uh. So smart. And then she comes running into the house and, and you're just, were you folding laundry? I think. Yes. (laughs) And I could, I could so relate to you as a mom because you know, it is the most beautiful hour when children go out to play. Well, I say, (laughs) you know, to all the moms out there, when children go out to play in the afternoon, right before dinner, glory, hallelujah, they are out to play. (laughs) So, so when she first came in, you went, tell us about your reaction. Well, I just was like, okay, sister, I'm sure she's fine. And Abby was like, no, she's not fine. And she was hysterical. And I kept saying, well, I'm coming. Let me get my shoes on. And Abby was physically dragging me and saying, you don't have time for shoes. Let's go. And I'm like, you need to calm down. And (laughs) she was just like, you don't understand. And and I was like, well, and I just kept thinking she'd slipped maybe from one break to another. And so she kind of lost her footing. Like got stuck or something. Yeah. Yes. To walk her down. Right. But I get out there after Abby just dragging me and I realized that that's definitely not what has happened right and then what cracked me up is that well not cracked me up that sounds very insensitive (laughs) but what cracked me up is then your call to Kevin at his office and Kevin seemed to give you the same reaction that you gave Abby (laughs) and you're like no you don't understand you need to get here oh because who would think that the tree would be hollow 
I mean, no, nobody no. until you saw it, right? Until you saw it. Exactly. And so he did the same thing. He grabbed a rope that they use in calf pulls and he thought, I'll just come down and lower a rope. Because he's the Texan out. daddy that he is. <laughs> <laughs> And it'll just be really quick and snappy and he'll take right care of it, which he typically would. Right. It was not to be. It right. Was, and even the fire department, it wasn't so snappy for them either. <laughs> it wasn't. <And laughs> they did the same thing. They came, The first responder got there and, and he came walking up and he said, okay, where's, where's the child in the tree? And I pointed and he looked up and in the branches and looked around yeah, and like, I said, no. She like didn't. it's delay, delay for them to register what's actually happening because it's so it unfathomable, was. really. Who, who, who falls 30 feet inside a hollowed out tree? It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Okay, so Annabelle's at the bottom of the tree and pick up the story where you want to pick it up and, and share with us what happened. Well, Annabelle, while she was in the tree, was non-responsive for quite some time. And then all of a sudden, they screamed. She's responding. She's responding. She's grabbed the rope. And they talked her through her own rescue. And Annabelle was instrumental in her own rescue. And they said she was just eerily calm, that she never was upset, never asked, where's my mommy, never asked, when am I going to get out, never said, I'm scared, I'm cold, nothing. Mm. And they thought it was so odd but they were talking to her and keeping her calm. Well, they get her out of the tree and we go on care flight to the hospital. And, you know, in the book, we talk about how they did one x-ray after test after another. And, you know, in another miracle from heaven, there was nothing wrong with her. She Crazy. Not, yes. I mean, she had not suffered anything. They said to expect suffering paralysis or broken bones because they right. didn't anybody fall 30 feet and not suffer paralysis or broken bones. And she had absolutely nothing wrong with her. She was scratched and wet and muddy and bruised, but she had nothing wrong with her. A minor concussion. Amazing. You would think there's even like bugs and stuff in there. I mean, that is such an amazing thing to me. Not one bug bite, not one ant bite, not one spider bite, not one bug bite. Three hours. Wow. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Okay. So I'm sure the medical staff was astounded. Oh, they, they just, they kept saying, that's why they kept her overnight was because they said, you know, we, we just feel like we've missed something. There's no way that she's fine. And we feel like we do need to keep her just for observation. Yeah. But that next day, because of the dark place she had been in Boston, Kevin said, you know what? She's fine. And let's get her out of here. She needs to be somewhere around family that loves her. Well, because it's the new year, right? It was yes. like, Yeah. Family tradition rules. (laughs) There you go. I forget what the names of your family, your your grandma, what did you call them? Nani. Nani, that's right. Loved that. (laughs) It sounds so Texan. I just want to say that again and again. (laughs) Yes. So we went to, we were headed to Nani's in Corpus and um, Annabelle just turns to me out of the blue and she says, you know, mommy, I went to heaven when I was in that tree. And, you know, I tell people all the time that I look back and I wish that I had said something so brilliant and so profound and so wonderful. But all I said to her was, really? And I think back and I think all that I could come up with was really? I couldn't come up with anything <laughs> anything to look back on. But no, all I said was, really? Then she went on to explain what happened. And she said that she went to heaven and she said she sat on Jesus' lap. And that he told her that it wasn't her time and that she had to go back. And she told him she wanted to stay with him because there was no pain in heaven. Hmm. 
And um, he told her that he knew she wanted to stay, but he had plans for her on earth that she could not fulfill in heaven. But he told her, Annabelle, when the firemen get you out, there will be nothing wrong with you. And so I thought, you know, Annabelle, praise God. There was nothing wrong with you from the fall. I said, God is so good. Again, mm-hmm. so short-sighted. After everything we've been through, so short-sighted. <laughs> so short-sighted. Yeah. And so she just kind of looked at me like, hmm. You know, she just didn't say anything, but it, but almost like she wanted to say something. Well, I love that her her recollection and her telling you was so matter-of-fact that it was just like, oh, yeah, well, I'm playing with Susie today. And, oh, by the way, I sat on Jesus' lap when I was in the tree. And what's Nani cooking? Yes. <laughs> you know, like like no big deal, you know, exactly. the eyes of a child. Well, and very much um, this is what happened, and I don't really care what your response is to it. It's just what happened, and I want to tell you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was really how I took it was just kind of like, this is it. You know, this is my story. And so I was just, Kevin and I were just, as you can imagine, yeah. um, taken back. I'd be doing the side-eyed look at him while he was driving him be like, well, what is that about? <laughs> <laughs> so she, um, so she shared a bit more with us about it and we talked uh, here and there, but the crazy thing about it was after that day, Annabelle seemed to hurt less and she seemed to play more and she seemed to be happier and more peaceful. And she was still on quite a bit of medication, right? Tell everybody she about was, that. Well, she was, when she fell in the tree, she was on 10 medications and she had been, like I said, hospitalized that year, nine times, no less than five days. Multiple surgeries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Multiple surgeries and procedures. So, um, you know, she started acting like she didn't maybe need what happens with these disorders is you have to round on and round off of medications. Okay. So it was time to round on to one of the most strong medications that she took. And I remember she just didn't show any symptoms to need it. So I called the doctor and said, I know this sounds really odd, but Annabelle doesn't seem to need this medication. And it had been about four weeks and they said, well, you can delay giving it to her. I'm sure she'll need it here in a few days. Or, but you can delay for a while if you want. Well, we never, ever gave her that medication again. Now, was that the special medication that was like the lifeline that you had to get from the Boston doctor? No, that was not. That oh, was okay. just, um, like a major powerful antibiotic that made her guts get rid of the infection from the stagnant food. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but we never had to give that to her ever again because her gut was no longer stagnant. And then we um, took her off of another medicine and another medicine and another medicine. And describe your apprehension because you talk a little bit in the book about how, you know, it's one thing to be seeing no symptoms, but it's a whole other thing to be actually confirming that the, the diagnosis is no longer there. Yes. Talk about well, that. And it was, and also because it had taken us a long time to get where we were with our relationships with God and our relationships with each other to live with a, a, the life with a child with a chronic disorder mm. and to make ourselves accept the reality that Annabelle was well, if by some chance we were wrong and have to go all the way back and start all over to get to where we were, we weren't ready to give to 
to take that chance. We weren't ready to, to do that. But then it just became too obvious. Something is different. Something has changed. She does not need these medications. She is a different, happy, full of life child. And so the apprehension. So you were guarded. Yeah. So we were guarded. And the apprehension came from fear of what if we're wrong? What if, you know, and again, how many times do we have to put God in a box? But I feel like I, I myself know that I do it over and over and over. And he doesn't get out of the box. He destroys the box. But somewhere I drag an old refrigerator box back out from the garage and I put him back in it. Right. And I don't know why I do it because he, he destroys every box. But I feel like that time, you know, he just was, was trying to say, you know, Christy, just understand that this is beyond you. This isn't about you and this is beyond you. And when I realized, okay, this isn't about me and this isn't, and this is beyond me, this is yours. I've said before, I want you to have it. And I really mean, I want you to take it. So take it Mm -hmm. and I will trust you. And so from really that moment on, we just kind of went forward and said, God, we trust and we believe you've done what you said you've done, which was heal her. And so we just embraced it and we began to, to, follow as her body showed us I don't need this medication we took her off or you know the doctors took her off yeah because you went back and got several confirmations I mean this was a process right it was several years it was yeah what several visits several years and they would they watched us and helped us wean her off the medications because none of them could you just stop they all had to be a weaning process and so it was all with the guide of a doctor's hand they were very um, instrumental in every bit of her getting back to a healthy little girl who doesn't need any medication. And today, Annabelle is on zero medications, and she is um, symptom-free, asymptomatic is what they call it, and she has um, been released from the care of um, both of her pediatric gastroenterology doctors, specialists. Wow. God is so awesome. So amazing. Describe to me how this has impacted the medical community that has cared for Annabelle all this time. Because I would imagine if I had been as a nurse caring for a patient and had developed a relationship with not only the patient, but the family, and then, you know, complete healing, a supernatural miracle really happened that God gave you know, what was their reaction and are they believers or has it opened a door for them to believe? I feel like they are believers. Um, I know one of the doctors jokingly said, I sure am glad she fell in that tree. (laughs) And um, we laughed at that appointment, you know, and then another one, he just, he just, they just say they don't know. They can't explain it. Right. Um, They have no explanation, but they are so happy they are so full of joy for her and they are so, so pleased to see her so full of life and so full of just the Annabelle that they never really got to know before. And she's so full of, of who God created her to be now. Yeah. And they know firsthand that she actually had the diagnosis. It's not like it was a mistake. I mean, it had been, what, five years, four years yes. of of multiple surgeries and hospitalizations and struggles. So, you know, it, I think it's beautiful that God even moves in a story to impact those who are caring for others in so many different diagnoses, you know, it's True. just a, just a bright light of encouragement for them. I'm sure. 
Absolutely. And so many characters, you know, our book, this book, has resounded with so many people um, in, who are caregivers themselves. And they connected with me as Annabelle's caregiver, and even as the nurses that were Annabelle's caregiver that we became close to. And, and the girl that was the, um, the um, child life specialist that Annabelle still just, I mean, loves with all of her heart and soul. You know, we have been impacted by these people, and they have been impacted by us. I mean, it's, it wasn't by chance that all of us met, and we all were interwoven in this story and this journey that God purposely placed each one of these people with us. Yes. Yes. All for his purpose. And you just never know how your story as a family or Annabelle's story has impacted their life and changed the course of their life too. You know, God is so amazing how he works even through suffering. I'd love it if you would talk a little bit to that mom out there, that dad out there who is living the life you lived with Annabelle with chronic illness, you know, caring for a child with an uncertain diagnosis or, you know, there's a lot of sibling dynamics too that happen in a family where one child is sick. And, you know, it is unfortunate that it takes so much of your time and attention, but it really does in a necessary way. And then there's that guilt and tension of parents and the attention you give to one versus another. And then the stress on the marriage. Can you just speak to anyone who might be listening who really is in the middle of the mud where you've walked? Really, I would say if you're in a marriage, that the first thing you have to do is get that solid. Well, the first thing you have to do is get solid with your relationship with Christ. Right. You have to understand that he is bigger than you, that this isn't about you. It has nothing to do with you. And you have to get out of the way and let him be God. And once I accepted that and I and I had to daily surrender it back. Right. And we do that by reading the Bible. We know God's character through that, right? And community and church, you know, support and all of that. Yes, exactly. And and so many, speaking of support, I don't know what we would have done if the friends that we have that God placed in our life during those time hadn't been there praying for us. So, you know, we have that foundation with Christ and we have that foundation with each other, you know, a supportive spouse. And it wasn't easy. There were so many times where, we would not see things the same way or just frustration. We would lash out at one another, but right. Well, we tend to displace our frustration onto the nearest closest object to us, which is often our spouse. So true. Yeah. And so don't you think getting under the issue, like, okay, that was an angry response. Like what is the feeling under that? Are you depressed? Are you sad? Are you uncertain? Are you unsure? What, and you know, really communicating. I sensed as you wrote that you and Kevin really had, worked on your communication. Very much, very, very much. And really, you have to feel very safe and comfortable with that person and just know that you can trust them. Yeah. And, and so I felt like we had really built that relationship of trust so that we knew that it was safe. It was safe to be scared. It was safe to feel alone, even though you're right there with each other. It's safe to say, this really stinks this is really, really awful. And I hate it. Yeah. Well, and men and women grieve differently. I mean, really, a chronic illness of a child, or really any loved one is a grieving process, because you're losing the normality of the situation, right? Yes. And so men and women, I think, in your experience, did you and Kevin experience that you grieved and you reacted differently? Very much so. And giving each other grace to really 
they don't have to do it our way. Just like parenting. I mean, I used to tell my husband when the kids were little, okay, well, this is how you pack the bag and this is how the schedule's going to go. And when I'm gone to work, I need you to do this, you know, and I had to relinquish the control because he does it a different way than me. And it might not be the same, but it's not wrong. Right. Exactly. Well, and that was another thing um, that I talk about in the book. Um, you know, Kevin was able to grieve right at that moment and deal with his emotions and his feelings mm -hmm. when they happened. But I had to go into this, you know, super mom mode. And so I would stuff things down deep and, and go robotic, you know, mm -hmm. uh, deal with the situation. And, but then when all that came out, <laughs> he had to be ready to, to let me let all that out. And he did such an amazing job of being, being tolerant of that. So just having tolerant hearts with one another and really just more than anything, putting one foot in front of the other every day mm -hmm. and constantly giving it to God. Even if you're scared, just say, God, I'm scared to death. I'm scared to death of this appointment. I am scared to death of this answer. Hold my hand. I want to feel your breath on my face. Be so close to me, Jesus. Mm -hmm. I want you right with me. And he will be right there. And I love the prayer that you talked about earlier of just asking God to show you what he has for you in and through it, because it's with that surrendered posture, I think, is where you were able to receive the next step or even to see it. Yeah. You know, sometimes we sabotage ourselves and blind ourselves to what God has right in front of us because we are rightly so just wallowing in the pain that we're experiencing. I mean, that was not an easy experience to walk through with Annabelle those years, you know? Correct. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sure you were like, why me? This is, isn't fair. And you know, to watch a child suffer, it's hard to watch an older person suffer, but a child so challenging. I mean, I'm even thinking of as a nurse, just starting IVs and just how to explain. I had a 15 year old that I took care of who was being admitted to be induced the other day. And, you know, I walked into the room because I told my friend who was taking care of the patient that I, oh, I'll come start your IV for you because she was an induction in the morning. I walked in the room and I'm checking the birthday. You know, I always ask the birthday when I draw blood and I was like, 99, you know, <laughs> And I looked at the other nurse and I'm like, oh, I did the math. And so then it was a whole different way to explain the procedure, you know, a whole different way to interact. And, you know, I had to slow way down yes. and um, just so hard. Yes. How did your girls interact with Annabelle and how did the dynamic before occur? And then now, can you share a little bit about that? Well, we decided from the beginning as a family that we would never treat Annabelle like a sickly child. We would never, we would tolerate her when she felt poor, but we would never make excuses for her or treat her like she was weak or sickly or, you know, we would always encourage her to, you know, do the best she could do or come with us or here, let me help you carry that. It looks like it's too heavy for you. We just always offer that hand of grace and really both Abby and Adeline had that naturally come through that it wasn't really a big, um, it wasn't something that had to be taught necessarily. They just, they just did it. And even now they've embraced her. You know, we all went through our own journey of healing, really. Everybody went through a process of, of getting well. And you would think that you would just say, oh, she's well, praise God, let's go. But you don't. Everybody has to grieve. You know, it's back, like a race, you know, when it's over, you're like, Whew, okay. That was really hard. And then you think about 
all the miles you ran or all. And so we all kind of had to do that and deal with the marathon that we went within ourselves and kind of heal our own selves. And everybody went through their own little process of healing. But now everybody is just as we were before. You know, we are a great unit and a great team and we have our bad days and we get frustrated with one another. But we always extend that hand of grace and mercy. And we always know that you can push that reset button. And that really more than anything that just God is faithful. And if God can be that faithful to us, then we can show that much faithfulness and grace to each other. Absolutely. And I'm sure such gratitude, such Mm -hmm. gratitude as a family for what God gives and what he's done for you. Christy, tell me a little bit as we close about this writing journey, how the book came to be. And, you know, you're you're a mom taking care of your children, you know, living life in Texas. How how did you become an author? Tell us that story. Well, um, it's a great story. I felt God was laying it on my heart to write a book. And I'd had many friends say, you should write a book. You should write a book. I cannot believe everything y'all have gone through. You should write a book. And so God started laying it on my heart that he wanted me to write the book. And I was like, no, that's so funny. No, I don't write. Thank you, God. (laughs) No, he wasn't playing. And so he... And you so had I, learned enough by now to know that. That's right. I yes. had. And so I think that's what scared me is I knew he wasn't joking around about it. And so oh, I goodness. met a friend for lunch and I hadn't seen her in like 10 years. And we'd met up on Facebook and reconnected. And then she sat down at the table and we hadn't been talking but five minutes. And she said, you know, God's been weighing it on my heart that you need to write a book. And I mm. almost fell out of my seat. And I said, you're not going to believe this, but he's really on my heart that I need to do that too. So then we met again about a month later and she sat down and she said, Christy, it's not a matter of if you're going to write it. It's a matter of when God wants to know when you're going to start. And so I went that day and bought a laptop and I started writing because I was scared to death that God was not going to tolerate my lack of obedience any longer. So, um, and after all that he'd done, how could you not write? uh, Exactly. Oh, exactly. You know, but I felt like Abraham, you know, like, really? Are you sure? Like Like Moses, I cannot talk. I cannot write. (laughs) (laughs) You got the wrong girl. Exactly. He's like, nope, I got the right girl. Yeah, that's right. So here we are. And some amazing, amazing people have been able to, to be a part of this journey. And so Miracles from Heaven, the book is, is really the memoir. It's the the good nitty gritty, you know, stuff, but they're going to do a, a movie adaptation from our story and it's going to be on um, the big screen and they're going to do Sony is going to do a major motion picture movie and um, it's slated to release Easter of 2016. And wow. Miracles from heaven. Yes. From That's our story. so exciting. Now that um, Sony pictures is in affiliation with TD Jakes. Yes. Yes. And so they just found out last week, they said that Jennifer Garner will be cast as my role. And so we're super excited. Oh my goodness. Yes. And she just seems like such a delightful, lovely woman. So I'm very excited to lovely. So yes. Oh, Christy, I cannot be more excited for you, your family, and really for the message of God's goodness that's going to go out to the world. Because really that's what it's all about, right? Highlighting the goodness of God through the messes in our lives. And that's what your story does. 
Well, Christy, if anyone wants to connect with you, where can they find you online and your book too? So we have a Facebook author page, um, Christy Beam Author, and then we are at christybeam.com. And we have a fun website that you can come and, and leave prayer requests. And we're happy to pray for you and, and, and hear about your um, acts of faithfulness that you've seen God providing to you in your life and just rejoice with you in those. So we would love for people to stop by the website and, and check us out. And share, yeah, because really it's about sharing with each other all that God has done, right? Exactly. And um, just because something he does for us doesn't look like a supernatural, complete healing miracle. It doesn't mean that all the little ways he meets us in the mundane times aren't small miracles in and of themselves because a holy, awesome God is in relationship with us. And even if he gives us nothing beyond that, it's enough, right? That is exactly right. Yeah. Well, Christy, thank you again for joining me. I'm so, I've just loved talking to you so much. And I'm just praying for you and your family and for this project and for all who will be strengthened and encouraged by it. So have an amazing day. You as well. Thanks so much. Oh, you're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's all for this episode. I hope your heart was encouraged by hearing Christy share her story. And it really is nothing short of amazing. Now, I thoroughly enjoyed reading Christy's book. Actually, I listened to Christy's book on audiobook. And you can too today. You can get a free download of Christy's book or really any book that you desire to hear by going to mudstoriesbook.com. And all you have to do is sign up for a free 30-day trial, which you can cancel at any time. And incidentally, if you cancel, you can still keep your free audiobook. And so it really is a good deal. And their partnership really helps to go towards the cost of this podcast. And so if this podcast has met you in a deep place or if it has helped you in any way, I would so greatly appreciate if you would check that out. It's at mudstoriesbook.com. And also another great way you can help out this podcast is when and if you get to iTunes on your computer, you can search for this podcast on Mud Stories and you can subscribe so that it automatically goes to download on your computer each and every time I release an episode. And also, if you wouldn't mind to click on the rating and review section, you can write me a little note there. I read each and every one of those. And reviews really help to expose our podcast to others who might be not knowing that it's out there. And so it's a way for others to find Mud Stories and to be encouraged also. And so again, that's at JackieWatkins.com forward slash iTunes, or you can just go on your regular iTunes on your computer and do that. And speaking of that, there is a free app that you can download for this podcast. And that's another really great way that you can be notified when we release an episode. And so, you know, you can go to your regular app store, wherever you buy your apps, whether you're on an Apple device or an Android device, and all you have to do is search Mud Stories. And that is my free gift to you, an app that makes it easy to listen. And you can fast forward by 30 seconds and rewind by 30 seconds and you can pause and resume if you get interrupted and come back to it. And I just really love it. I tend to 
listen on my phone so much to podcasts when I'm in the car. And so any way that makes it easy to do that, I wanted to promote. And so again, that's there for you for free, a Mud Stories app. And finally, if you have any feedback for me or anything you want to share with me at all, maybe it's some way you think this podcast could be better, or maybe it's something that meant so much to you that you heard here. I would love nothing more than to hear from you, and you can reach me all kinds of ways. You can send me an email, Jackie at JackieWatkins.com. You can find me on Twitter or Facebook or through my blog in the comment section, whatever it is. All the show notes will be at JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 44. As usual, you can find them all there, and it would make my day to hear from you. And so today, no matter what you're facing, giving thanks for what we have instead of what we long for is what brings us joy. And so it's my prayer today that no matter where you've been, no matter what lies ahead for you, no matter what, that you will find your grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day. Never in you, mother, feels a press upon my mind. A pull of shame that leaves me a little bit blind. I cannot see beyond the blame, and I never will find a way out. And then I feel you next to me. You lift my head to see. Your strong arm reaches to me. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I never any mother feels a press upon my that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you song to sing, a grateful song to sing.